Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another Roman of the Day podcast. I am pleased, absolutely thrilled to be joined on the line right now by Will Scouch, who does some pretty awesome prospect analysis. He's been doing this since 2016. I think it's pretty awesome what he does, and I'll let him explain it. Will, for the listeners, first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing well, you know, just getting back into the swing of life now that I'm double vaxxed and, you know, ready to ready to spend a nice summer outdoors in a little bit. But yeah, yeah aren't we all? Well. How are aren't you? We all? I'm doing really well. Really excited to talk to you. You've been doing this since 2016. You've been scouting prospects. You've been doing a lot of analysis. And how would you describe it? It's it's a bit of analysis with your scouting. How would you describe it? Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is basically get a, the strongest fundamental perspective on a player's profile going into the draft. So getting a real grasp on what their actual strengths are, what their actual weaknesses are, you know, how they tracking their results of their game, examining how those results are generated. Cause I think that's the gap in analytics now is we have really good data for the results based stuff, but there's a lot that goes into a shot attempt that isn't just the shot attempt. And I think that understanding who contributes to various events on the ice can help you pinpoint guys you might be more interested in. Um, and so basically I try to blend, you know, I track my own data because it helps my eye. I get live feedback on what's happening with the player's performance. Um, and it's just, I think it's a nice hybrid of taking an analytical look at young players while still allowing a lot of context with regards to how they're generating those results. You know, it's not so easy as to just say, oh, this guy's driving great results, therefore he's a number five pick overall, right? It's There's a lot of context that goes into it that I think can be dug into with analytics and tracking data and building sort of your own databases and working within those and just basically trying to get as much context and then forming, you know, this is what the player's good at and how, and here's where he's not so good and, and how and where we could go with developing the player for the next couple of years before they hit the NHL. So when you're analyzing these players and you're watching them play, like what kind of sample size are we talking about here? Like how often are you watching a player and, and when do you feel comfortable watching a player and saying, okay, you know what? I think I have a good grasp on what this, what drives this player and what, what he's all about. Sure. It's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think that a lot of the things that I track, I try to track events that happen a lot. So things like shot attempts going either direction happen a lot. The player doesn't have a ton of involvement in those, but other things that I look at is their passes. Um, how many of their passes are playmaking passes, which are basically through the slot or to the slot. Um, transition data is also something that I'm really interested in. Um, you know, how good are you at maintaining possession across, you know, going across blue lines? How good are you, are you at shutting down possession, going defensively across blue lines? I tend to do my data cross-sectionally. So I do basically one a month because I know that guys can go on heaters here and there. They might go cold for a while. Um, I try to focus on when they're playing the good teams in their league generally. Um, and I also try to get, when I make videos, it's always seven games. I'll never make a video where it's not a full sample to me. Uh, the data though, for me with, with what I do generally starts to, it, after about two or three games, sometimes my eye will tell me that things, something's not right with the player in terms of the, how the data is coming out and they might be getting away with a lot, or they might just not be getting the bounces. But by around five games is when it thing, things kind of really settle out. And usually that's because things like transitions and passes and shot attempts happen so often that it tends to even out relatively quickly. Whereas for a lot of things like looking at production and such, those are really small samples that can be really noisy still. So generally five to seven games is where things kind of even out. 
And I should mention to the listeners right now, you can find Will's work at sketching.ca. Will, you've been doing this since 2016, as I mentioned earlier. Have you looked back retroactively at like players that you looked at in that like first couple formative years and like projecting forward, like how they've done, like how are your methods in your eyes? Like, have you reformed your methods or how are things going for you? Yeah. So I was basically the first two years, I think I was doing this. I wasn't as involved in the tracking side of things. I was much more just kind of getting my feet wet in the analytics of the draft. Cause I think when I first got started, it wasn't, it wasn't a super popular kind of topic. People were kind of dealing with analytics in the NHL and it wasn't super accessible outside the NHL. But when I started tracking guys, that was the 2018, 19 season. And I have gone back and looked at some of those guys, but I only tracked the guys I made videos on. There was a few, but it is interesting because it, I think it does help. I've gone back and looked at my videos from two years ago. I was one of the very few people who was, for example, looking at Vasily Pod Colson and thinking uh, the data for some of the areas of the game are interesting and good. And you can definitely tell what he's capable of. But I was always kind of skeptical of him being like a top five pick that year. And, and a lot of people were kind of telling me I was wrong and all this stuff. And I might have been missing some stuff here and there. But I look back on my video on him and I look at where he's come from since. And I think it's lined up pretty well with, with my expectations. Alex Newhook is the same. I did a video on Zach Jones and he was one where I kind of stuck my neck out and went, this guy could be really good, but he needs some tweaks in his game. Like, I think he just, he was a guy who was really capable of stuff, but he wasn't doing it a whole lot, like possessing the puck and holding onto it, playing with skill, moving it up the ice with control. He wasn't really doing that a ton, but you thought you could see that he could. And to me, that's like, well, okay, if you get him in the third round and just mentally get him to flick that switch and sort of believe in his talent more, then the results should improve. And so I kind of stuck myself out by going, well, you know, he's driving great results in the USHL and this kind of switch should be, should be clicked a little. And he's turned out to work out so far so good for the New York Rangers. So generally it's actually kind of turned out pretty good from my perspective. Um, I've looked back last year was the most active for me in terms of tracking. And I've gone back. There's a few guys where, you know, I might rethink how I think about it, but it's not actually, it's surprisingly less common than I thought it would be, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> Has there been a lot of pushback on certain guys? Like you mentioned, uh, Pod Colson earlier. Has there been a pushback on other guys where, you, you know, in retrospect, you've been like, yeah, yeah, I was right. Yeah. Like this is, this is working well. There's always a lot of pushback after the draft. It's, it's really funny how people will, you know, like, let's say I put out a, a, a report on a guy who's I got, who I have ranked between 10 and 15. For example, last year, Jake Sanderson was one of those guys. I think I had him at 13 or 14. And I, I like Jake Sanderson as a player. I think, I think he's going to be a fine NHL defenseman. Um, but seeing him go at fifth overall with the guys that were on the board for the Ottawa Senators, like I get why he went there. And I, you know, I get it if you want a defenseman, but I put out my video on him and said, look, a lot of his data is really good, but there's some areas where, you know, the offense might not totally project and, but he'll provide some kind of positive impact on the game. But again, like it's, it's always about who you leave on the board when you draft the guy that you want. And when I, you know, it's, it's funny. I had Jake Sanderson, for example, in that range, 10 to 15. And then when he goes at fifth overall, my reaction to that pick is, well, like, eh, you know, he's not bad. It's an acceptable option, but it, you left a lot on the board, you know? And I think a lot of people then turn around and then look at that and go, well, you're, threatening my team and you're threatening the scouting team that picked the and you you must be wrong because our team knows what they're doing 
and it's like well that's why we're in 30th that's why we're in 30th spot yeah (laughs) and and three three weeks ago you were on my side right like three weeks ago you thought okay jake sanderson is a good defenseman he'll probably be a solid nhl or blah 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 he's got a lot of nice traits but i get it and then as soon as he ends up with the ottawa senators it's like well now things have kind of changed and that's kind of when people come at you and it's not just the senators i don't want i don't mean to pick on them but like those types of situations when teams make reaches or something on guys that me and other people in this community are kind of low on uh that's when they sort of might might go well our team can't be this dumb relative to what you think right so therefore there must be something missing and we'll see i mean a lot of these players they're really really young still so it's really impossible to tell but yeah that's generally how it happens but when the videos do come out like i think the way i present things it does walk you through it and i show kind of what i'm talking about as i'm talking about it so it's like you know you you can you can try to poke holes but i'm kind of showing you where i'm coming from and there's data to back it up so at the time i think there's a bit of that but it it does get a little tricky once the draft actually happens for sure uh we're gonna get in and talk about some of those videos that you posted recently regarding the 2021 draft but i wanted to kind of circle back to the ottawa center's 2020 draft i think you mentioned Jake Sanderson. He was a guy projected to go top 10. No one really knew where he would fit. Ottawa picked him at five, obviously. But by and large, I think I think a lot of pundits would argue that Ottawa had a good draft because of the quantity of the picks that they had, right? They added a lot of value. But you, you touched upon how they took players where they could have added possibly more value. And, and people kind of see that as a slight. Heading into last season, how did you rate the, the Senators' 2020 draft? And in retrospect, now that you've had a year to kind of sit back and look at what those prospects have done, like how would you evaluate it now? Yeah, I mean, I, for some reason, another thing that Senators fans came at me for after the draft was my takes on Tim Stutzlet and that, you know, he wouldn't have been the guy for me at three. But I mean, I had him in a list of guys at that range with Marco Rossi and Lucas Raymond, where I thought, you know what, any of those guys, you can make an argument like you're really splitting hairs. And it would just, you know, I have time for Tim Stutzla at three. And I think he's a, you know, I thought I, I, I thought that coming out of my video on him, I was like, all right, electrifying scoring winger. You can clearly tell that's what he's going to be. But the defensive side of the game is kind of where things kind of get a little bit greasy for him on DEL ice. And that kind of has come with him in the NHL. You see what he's capable of, but, you know, there's, there's a little bit of holes in his game, at least right now. Can they be patched, of course. Outside of that, I mean, I thought he was a fine pick at three. Um, I thought Ottawa did fine. I thought they kind of could have done a lot better. I mean, I, I look at trading up to get Tyler Clevin as a, as a move that I think relatively quickly might be a move that they regret. Like, I don't, I mean, Tyler Clevin is a guy I didn't have ranked last year. He just doesn't really play the style of defense that I think is extremely projectable as an impact player in the NHL. But, and what they gave up, I mean, Toronto used those picks on two guys from Finland who I thought uh, they were both in my first round. Um, Ronnie Hirvonen and 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 uh, Topi Nimala and Topi Nimala had you know we all saw what he was capable of at the World Juniors, um, but I mean Robbie Yarventi I really like he took a big step forward this year too I was really impressed I thought he's another one of those guys that had that sort of mental switch that kind of needed to flick right he you could see he's got talent and he can shoot and he's got all these traits but not only was he inconsistent, but it was also just on defense. There wasn't much there and you need at least something for, for a lot of wingers, even like something. And sometimes he just wouldn't bring you anything defensively. It's just, give me the puck. I'm going to do whatever and just shoot the puck from anywhere because I'm Robbie Yarvinti and I can. 
But I mean, I thought he took a big step this year. He was much better in the league of this year than he was last year uh, in Finland. Rob Ridley, Greg, probably wouldn't have taken him in the first round, but I thought he was an acceptable choice. I think there's going to be a rambunctious bottom six guy. And I think that with Ridley Gregg and players like him, it's an interesting philosophical question too. You have to think about the philosophy of what the team's trying to build. And when I look at the Ottawa Senators, I go, okay, clearly between drafting him and Tyler Clevin and, you know, bringing in DJ Smith and bringing in the defensive players that they brought in this year to play for the Senators, they're looking for a bit of that grease to the team, like a bit of that grime and a bit of that hard work and blue collar kind of hockey. And I think Ridley Gregg, like if that's what you value, sure, I could see him being a first round pick. But again, like just philosophically, there's a there's a mismatch there. The rest of the guys like Sokolov, Engstrand, Dau, Reinhardt, like Sokolov had a pretty good AHL season. That's fine. Um, I, I don't know if he's an NHL player, but I'm I'm glad that he had a successful year. The rest of them, who knows? I didn't see a ton of them at all last year before they were drafted, but they're like late round picks. So you don't want to, you know, split hairs too much about those guys. But I think with Ottawa, there was there was value that they kind of left on the board at some of these picks. But again, like organizational fit is something that's really hard to also articulate from outside the organization. But and I can kind of see where they're going. So I guess I just have a bit of a different philosophy. And that's kind of the rub, right? Like I've heard Pierre Dorian and, and uh, Trent Mann speak about it. They They want players that will help them win. That's that's their quote unquote. They want guys who can help them win. They don't necessarily want the most skilled guys. They want guys who they believe will help them win. Mm-hmm. And Ridley Gregg kind of fits in that mold, right? Like he, they seem to like those two way guys who have a little bit of edge to the game. Then my profile is like middle six players, but that's, that's what they like. They like those hard, yeah. hard to play against agitating types. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see how it pans out for them, but heading into 2021, this team has depth at a lot of positions. You look at them now, they have a, the opportunity to draft in the top 10 again. What do you anticipate the Senators doing? What do you think they need? I mean, it's hard. I think I think I look at the Ottawa Senators and, and who they've drafted recently and what they've got on their NHL team right now. And I'm not the kind of person who's like, you should draft on need. I think that draft, especially if these guys aren't going to be on the NHL team for another, at least another season or two, you, a team's needs, I think, fluctuate greatly year over year. So you know, I, I think you just swing on value and see who's going to who's gonna work out and you patch your holes elsewhere later. And when I look at the Ottawa Senators, I think they're in a great position because I think that not only are there 10 to 12 guys that have separated themselves as potential really useful core pieces, but I think there are also guys outside that group that could jump up if the right team likes them. And, you know, I, I think teams get good gut feelings about certain players that are outside the top group. I think Ottawa was one of them with Jake Sanderson last year and kind of were more willing to bump them up the board and up and up and up and up them all year long. And I feel like that's going to happen with some guys this year. And just through that happening, all I think it takes this year for a really good player to slip to 10 is maybe two guys, guys like Chaz Lucius or Cole Sillinger or, I don't know, Carson Lambos or something to get picked in the top 10 and someone like Brant Clark could drop in the Ottawa Senators lap. And like, you could make the argument that you might want to pass on Brant Clark if you're the Ottawa Senators because of who you've got on defense, like Eric Brandstrom's on his way in and you've got Shabbat and Sanderson on his way at some point. And they're pretty, pretty loaded back there, but it's also Brant Clark. And I think, I think that he has enough to bring to the table that at 10th overall, you kind of can't say no and I think that if it's even if it's not him, I think there's going to be a player or even two that 
you just kind of can just close your eyes and just think, all right, let's not think about this too much and we'll take this guy. Um, I don't know who that's going to be, but I feel like that's going to be the realistic option. And even if not, even if no one jumps up, I mean, I've got 12 guys in my top two groups of players and the Ottawa Senators are at 10. So if it's me at the draft table, there's going to be at least three guys at 10th that I would be happy picking. And one of like, I have Fabian LaSalle ranked really high and I'm not sure he's the type of player that the Ottawa Senators would draft, but I would be happy to add him to a team. When I look at the Ottawa Senators though, I mean, up the middle is a bit of a question mark playing center. If you want to talk about needs to me and maybe there's some centers there that they could poke at, but I think that at the very, very top end, there aren't a lot of guys that project to be centers. And at that point, you're kind of reaching on a guy, maybe like a Chaz Lucius who can play center or a Cole Sillinger who played center a bit this year. But I just get the feeling that for Ottawa being realistic, just sit back, let the draft happen. Someone's going to fall to 10 that you're going to really like, and everyone's going to not be able to believe that they slipped that far. But just by virtue of this year's draft, it's, it's just going to happen by default, I think. You think the goaltenders are going to be a bit of a wild card in, in like first 15 picks, like whether it's Jesper Wallstedt or Casa? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, the goalies are going to be interesting. What I've been telling people recently is at some point, you know, like I get it. Goalies are risky with Wallstedt. I'm way less concerned because he's in uncharted waters. He's playing in the SHL. No, no draft eligible goalies ever done that before. And at least not recently. And he looked pretty good. So when I look at him playing, I'm going, okay, let's just say for argument's sake that he could be a number one goaltender, that you're happy playing 60 games a season, and he's at least better than league average. And he gives you a chance in the playoffs to win pretty much any game. You know, that's a good asset to have on your team, obviously. At what point in this year's draft do you say, okay, on one hand, we could take the goalie and take the chance, or we could take the chance on a skater who might end up, what, a second line winger? or a second pair defenseman. It's like, you know, you, you, those players are also inherently risky as well. There's no guarantee that a skater will work out. There's no guarantee that a goalie will work out. Goalies are riskier, but with Wallstead, I mean, Wallstead to me is like more of the equivalent of someone in the OHL scoring 120 points. It's like, they don't belong in junior level hockey anymore. Jesper Wallstead didn't belong in junior level hockey in Sweden anymore. So we don't get too cut up about players that are too good for junior hockey, but stuck in junior hockey so I look at Wallstead and I'm not super concerned, but I definitely think that teams still have that back of the mind thing of what if, you know, you yeah. don't want to take him fourth overall and whiff. I just, I, but I get the feeling that with him, there's less to worry about. And usually I'm on team, no goalie in the first round. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I look at Ottawa's opportunity here. They have a top 10 pick in the second half of the season. It seems like they were trending in the right direction. They're playing their young kids. They're starting to excel. So I feel like mm-hmm. this is probably going to be the last high pick that they have maybe in uh, maybe a year or two, maybe they bottom out again next year. But like after that, like this should be a team that should vie for a playoff spot in the future. But you look at the goaltenders and, and the attrition rate for first round picks and for goaltenders, it seems to be quite high and it seems to be a risk. It's almost like drafting a quarterback in the NFL sometimes yeah. in the first round. And you, you do, you kind of get a little bit scared, even, even with some defensemen not that high. Like yep. you kind of worry that if, if you whiff with, you know, a top 10 pick, you're like, these don't come around that often. So you really, really have to be confident of it, about what direction you go in right here. For sure. Looking at the defensemen who are available, you mentioned Brant Clark as a possibility as a guy who could slide to Ottawa at 10. Do you anticipate any of the other guys being around? You know, you got your Luke Hughes, 
you've got your own power. Own power is projected to go really high in a number of uh, a number of other rankings. Um, Edvinson's there. Do you anticipate any of those guys being available to Ottawa at ten? The only one I could see possibly happening, other than Brent Clark, is Luke Hughes. But that would only be because teams I think are, you know, there might be something off ice that teams are scared of that that just might caution them away from that, especially drafting a guy like that super high. I, I Owen Power is going to be gone, and when I look at Simon Edvinson, I think that if you've got nine teams in front of you, and you've got a six foot four, strong defense first kind of guy who's got offensive upside, if he just figures some stuff out, which there's a lot to figure out, but at least you've got a strong, solid defensive player right away. I don't think a T. I don't think nine teams are going to pass on him. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I'd be surprised if it did, but it's possible, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that of the defensemen, unless there's something about Luke Hughes that scares away a lot of the teams before Ottawa, it's probably going to be Brant Clark. I mean, I look at Brant Clark and see an offensive guy who has skating issues. And I think in the modern NHL, NHL teams might go like, like you said, like it might be that, that thing of like, okay, you've got an offensive guy who is fine defensively, but not particularly great, but also he has trouble skating up the ice with the puck and my data on him was kind of mixed, but once the pucks in the offensive zone, he's a wizard. It's like, well, okay. (laughs) All all it takes, all it takes is for a team to just go. Yeah. But, and then go with something a little bit more projectable and something that we're comfortable with for him to just sort of start bumping down a little bit. Like Cam Fowler was a top five pick before going into the draft and he slipped all the way to like 14. Like it's not impossible for players like that to slip a little bit, especially sort of these offensive leaning defensemen that might have some question marks that are legitimate, but yeah, either way, like at, for Ottawa at 10, like it's an enviable position. Like I'd rather be Ottawa at 10 than say Anaheim at three, you know, like I would, I, that's sure. that, and that's just me. In a way I almost compare it to last season, right? Like you look at Ottawa at three, you know, you're going to pick whoever slides. let Los Angeles and New York make their picks and we'll take whoever slides. And that's how they'll judge us. They won't judge us because we're mm-hmm. one and two and we had to make that choice, right? Yeah. At 10, though, is there a worst case scenario for the Senators in your mind? Is there is there something that you're like, oh God, that's that's not a good fit, or that's not that's a guy who I would tend to avoid? Well, I mean, the only the only there's only really a couple of players that are ranked relatively high that I don't have ranked. Like Zachary Bolduc is one that in the in the, I, I honestly, until you said it, I did not think that he might be an option for the Ottawa Senators, but that's a guy who I think might have that mentality around the game that Ottawa might like enough to pick him at 10. It would be bewildering to me because I've seen him play a lot and I've tried to understand a lot about what he does that he brings to the game. I don't think it's realistic that the Ottawa Senators use their first pick on a QMJHL guy who is legitimately polarizing, but I get the feeling that some teams out there really like him for reasons that I just disagree with like philosophically. But I I don't think there's that, like unless they go way off the board and pick, you know, someone that just probably you could get if you trade back, you know, like I'm thinking names like Matthew Coronado or Nikita Chibrikov, or I don't know, Xavier Borgo. Like you could trade back and get those guys. And maybe that's the right move. But also I feel like at 10, they're going to get an option to just bunt the pick and just say, let's not think about this too much and just make the, make the most 
probably the right the, the right decision here uh, rather than trying to overthink it. But I mean, a guy like Zach Bolduke to me, who I don't even have ranked, but other people have ranked pretty much in that 15-ish range would be one that would take my breath away, I would say. All right, well, let's flip the switch to a little bit more positive light. Looking at the Senators at 10, who would you believe to be is the best case scenario for Ottawa at 10? Oh, man. Jeez. I mean, I'm putting on my my Will Scout chat. Someone like a Fabian LaSalle with Ottawa, like, I feel like at, like hockey fans would love watching him play. The, the issue with him isn't on the ice, right? And that's, I've heard that from a bunch of different places. Like the, 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 the dichotomy between how he plays and how he's been perceived and how his season went off the ice is so vastly different. He's one of the most hardworking, selfless, intense 200 foot guys in the draft this year, I think. He's incredibly skilled. We saw flashes of it at the under 18 this year. Um, I think he's right up there with the best in the draft. And I mean, if I have my, and I bet he'll be there at 10. And if he's there at 10 for Ottawa, like he's a winger and Ottawa has, has could use more centers. But I feel like if it's Fabian LaSalle to me, at 10, you could you could be okay with adding another winger if it's him. He's a guy, like if you want to have a guy who goes out there and wins, I, I think there's, a, I think there's a, a, a very fine line between being hyper-competitive to the point of being a little bit abrasive and being a real jerk. And I feel like he really pushes that envelope. Like he's a really competitive guy and he wants to win games. And it looks like it when he's on the ice. It's just that sometimes can rub into a situation off the ice that might be a little bit unbecoming to people. But I still think that you bet on that. He's a 17 year old kid. Like if he wants to win, he wants to win. So I'm not concerned about him at all. I still have him ranked in the top five because I feel like that kind of thing with the right personnel around him and the right coaching and the right motivation, you can get him moving. Um, and what he put himself through this year by moving from Forlunda to play with uh, Lulio, which is basically like going from a Montreal Canadiens prospect system to like the Arizona Coyotes and he meant and he wanted to, that tells me that he just wanted the best chance to play in the SHL for himself because he deserved a shot and he looked good in that league. So if it's me, me speaking, not trying to, you know, put myself in the mind of the Ottawa Senators, Fabian LaSalle is probably the guy who's going to be there that I'd push for because I just think he'd be a great option to add and add more energy and tenacity, but a lot of skill and, and offense to an Ottawa Senators team that I think could still use a little bit more firepower on top of like a Tim Stutzla that they added last year. Will, last year we saw Columbus roll the dice on Shinikov really early. It was unanticipated, a little off the board. Do you anticipate there being like that kind of gamble? Because a lot of people seem to downplay the quality of the 2021 draft. Like, do you see a team rolling the dice on a guy like mid round or early oh, yeah. or even earlier? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I see someone, I see. Like I, I've said this to a bunch of different people. I think it's going to be a horror show. I think it's just going to be crazy. Uh, and I'm, so are you just saying that because of like just the way the pandemic kind of unfolded? Like the OHL yeah. didn't play, a bit I, of a I, weird yeah. year. You know, late bloomers didn't get that opportunity to play and, and show what they could do. Yeah, I get, I bet I bet that, I, I, I mean, it depends on the team, but the ability to manage and the ability to trust video varies between scouts. It varies between teams. Some teams are much more comfortable than others with the video work and trusting what they're seeing in data and trusting what they're seeing on a screen rather than being in a rink and just sort of dealing with it that way. Some are not. Some scouts probably have not opened a laptop ever. So it might be, it might be a little bit 
difficult. So I think by virtue of that, you're going to end up with some real craziness. And I think you're going to end up with some teams trying to overthink it and say, well, this guy didn't play, but he looked really good in limited minutes with the London Knights or something last year. He, you know, there, there, there might be potential. Like what if we, what if this guy, if he played a full season was going to be a first round pick because our scouts think he could have been. And I feel like that's going to happen this year. And I mean, last year, Chinikov kind of got drafted also because of how hot his KHL season started last year. And that was something Yarma Kikalainen said. We don't have that luxury this year to see how these guys are playing next season. So it might mitigate it a little bit. But I get the feeling like the, the, the PBHH tournament, I think it was in Erie, Pennsylvania. There was a lot of guys who I don't think I'd pick, but they're on boards. And I feel like they were okay in that tournament for guys that hadn't played all year. And I feel like those some of those guys might jump up boards a lot going into the draft because scouts might go, yeah, but what if? And personally, that's not my strategy going into this year's draft. I think there's enough of a sample on enough guys that have played a lot that you can just trust what you've got. And and if you make mistakes, like it's a crazy year and you can kind of forgive it. But I think there's enough information and and evidence out there to to do well in this year's draft for sure. Do you think this is going to be a draft that kind of separates the haves from the have-nots? Like we, we talk about this all the time. Ottawa has one of the smallest uh, scouting staffs in the league. They have one of the smallest front offices in the league. Do you think this is one of those years where you can see kind of like those smaller staffs uh, struggle a little bit? It'll be fascinating. I think, it. you know, I'm of the belief that you can probably do okay in a draft just by just the drafting part. I feel like you can do okay with a small staff. I don't think... It, and I, I mean, I'm obviously speaking from a, a position where, you know, like I'm a video guy. I I can scout seven games in a seven player performances in a day, and I think that I think that what I do is extremely efficient and extremely good at getting you, even if it's 75% of the way there on the guy that you want to watch. And if I grant a traditional scout that that 100%, the rest of that that 25% comes from being in the rink, I'll go okay but I don't have to travel. I don't have to do all these things. And I bet that with a team of five people doing video and tracking work and trusting databases that just for the drafting part, you know, the development is a whole other story, but just for landing good players that you can work with and build around that you could probably do with a slim staff. So it's not so much. I'm curious about the big staffs versus the small staffs and how they do. I think a big staff can trip over themselves just as easily as a small staff can not have the know-how. So I'm not super pessimistic about Ottawa just because they don't have a small staff. I am very curious to see who goes where and what teams come out with at the other end. Like I would, I wouldn't be surprised if guys that I have ranked in my second round are there in the seventh round at this point, because I don't know what's going to happen. And I think teams are, could be completely on different pages, but it'll be very interesting to see who goes where and, you know, a team with say five picks who those five picks are in this season and, or if a team has 12 picks and who those guys are, because I think if you play your cards, right. Yeah. There might not be game changing talent this year, but I think there's a lot of interesting projects to work with. So it'll be interesting after the th- after the draft's over to see who ends up where regardless of their resources. So do you think more so than other previous years, do you think this, there's a real opportunity for teams that do their homework and do their due diligence? Do you think there's a real opportunity to find those deals in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round? hundred percent. Yeah. Well, it makes for an exciting draft, right? And like, you could look back at this years, years from now and just be like, yeah, like everything makes sense. It was just the right circumstances. It'll be a very interesting one to look back on for sure. Like I know, I know that it won't be perfect. I don't think no draft ever is, but I feel like things are going to happen that might 
might be a bit surprising at the time and we might look back on it and go, okay, well, they were surprising for a reason or they were, you know, this team had something everybody else didn't. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. It's a, it's a year unlike any other. Who do you think goes number one? Owen Power. I think Owen, Owen Power, 100%. Because in your forecast, you said, who would you take? You, you wrote yep. Matthew Beneers. Yeah, right? like, I would. I would take Matthew Beneers. I just don't. I don't think Owen Power is going to slip past the Buffalo Sabres. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I haven't heard anything specific about who the Buffalo Sabres want at number one. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't say anything. It's. it's <laughs> I, I really. I really just cannot imagine. On Bob McKenzie's list, he was a unanimous number one. And I know scouts said, oh, yeah, it's close. But if he's a unanimous number one, and it's like, if NHL scouts believe gun to their head that that they have to pick someone, I can't imagine it's not going to be Owen Power at this point. The only people who don't have Owen Power at number one are real heavy video people like myself who see a lot of what I see in him. And maybe... Maybe it's a situation where if you're in the rink, a lot of the things that I think are deficiencies for him are actually not as bad because it's in person. I don't know what that could possibly mean, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll set that aside, but I get the feeling it's going to be him. One of the local prospects who was developed here uh, in Ottawa, Mace McTavish. Do you think he'd be a good fit for Ottawa at 10? Yeah. I just don't think he's going to be there. I I think think he's, no, I think he's going to be gone early. The thing about this year that I think is a luxury for teams in that three, four, five range is they can, they can look for players that I think have a lot of certainty in a year where there isn't a lot of certainty. I look at every defenseman in the top 10 and I see a very wide range of possibilities for their career, you know, ranging from really struggling in the NHL, if they don't patch things up or at least struggling in certain areas or being really, really interesting, you know, top pair, top two pair guys. With the forwards, guys like Ken Johnson, I think, are in that boat as well. But with guys like Matthew Beneers, William Eklund, and Mason McTavish, I would say those three guys are the guys where you watch them play hockey right this second and you go, yeah, I could see these guys being NHL players. And it doesn't take that much, you know, real thinking into what they're going to be. And in a year as crazy as this, with the risk, in my view, that there is with the other players, a guy like Mason McTavish, who is very well-rounded in his game um, and has a bit of that hard-nosed side to him, uh, I think it's going to be a no-doubter that he's gone. I feel like there's multiple teams that would have him really high on their board that are drafting high. And if, But if he's there at 10, he's a perfectly good option for Ottawa at that range, for sure. So this past week, I've been looking at a lot of the draft rankings, trying to like create like a consolidated list of where guys are. To me, just looking at the top 10, it seems like there's a lot of fluidity in terms of where guys can go. And even like guys who are projected to go top 10 in some drafts could be going in the teens or, or low 20s. Uh, even have you ever seen this kind of like fluidity in the top 10? You think that's just like a, a circumstance of the pandemic or how would you how would you attribute the fluidity and dynamics going on in the top 10? So I don't think I've ever seen it like this. I think a few things are happening. I think on one hand, if you kind of go back, not every draft year, but uh, unless it's like an Austin Matthews draft year or Connor McDavid or, or whatever, where it's very, very clear that there's someone up at the top that you do not want to pass on. I think we're seeing a larger spread in the philosophy of scouts. I think what we're seeing is a few different sort of factions of scouts that value different things and are more public about it. And that is creating more disagreement about who might, you know, like I think the concept of actual impact in the NHL is is being examined a lot more carefully and trying to evaluate, okay, like what really is a good hockey player and like what is it that we can look for in a player? And I think when you really dig into that question, it you can get a bunch of different answers. 
when I look at this year's draft, though, another thing I think about is that overseas, I think there's, I think overseas, you're getting a lot of players that, you know, in the past would have been undervalued. So guys who play very, very good hockey over in Europe, but since European staffs are smaller than North American ones, they kind of get undervalued and the North American guys kind of get pushed up. Whereas now I think people are realizing the value of European players and how they are just as good as North American players these days. There's still a lot of North Americans in the top 10 and I think they belong they belong there. But I think there's also just that sort of equalization. And I think more and more players have a, a reasonable right to be in that range. So in this specific draft, I think it's a combination of things, but I'm already looking towards next year's draft. And to me, like the top group is going to be a Canadian, a Finn, a couple of Russians, a Slovakian might get in there. Like there's just a whole bunch of different countries that I think are producing talent. And just based on how you look at the game, every a reasonable person could have a conversation with another reasonable person and come up, especially this year with a top 10. And I, it would be totally different than mine. And I could easily understand generally how that's possible. And I think that's just happening more and more. I get the feeling that drafts should be less consensus driven. I, I think, you know, like everybody was talking about Alexi Lafreniere last year and he had trouble in the NHL this year. And I think that when you look back at him last year, you could see some signs as to why he might struggle in the NHL, but not a whole lot of people were talking about it. It's also very hard to dig into that so quickly, but at the end of the day, I think it's a combination of a whole bunch of different things, whether it's the global game getting better or just, I think, various different scouting philosophies sort of coming to to battle with each other, I guess, a little bit more often than uh, than just kind of falling in with a group think. So it's a number of different things. But this year is definitely, definitely noisier than every other year I've worked on. I have to say, when I was just doing some research for this for this interview, one of the videos that I watched this week of yours uh, was the Cole Sillinger piece. Uh, earlier this week, I tweeted, gone down the rabbit hole. I'm watching a Cole Sillinger highlight reel. And a follower of mine just said, go watch Will Scouch's video. Go watch the scouting assessment of Cole Sillinger. And just won't necessarily change your mind on a player, but it will add an extra layer of insight that you otherwise wouldn't get just by watching a highlight video. And it was excellent. Like it was absolutely excellent, man. Like you, you just talked about how he does these things well and you acknowledge everything that he does well, but at the same time, you also throw in not, not criticisms, but it, it is just, you broke down his game. Say so there is a lot of individual play uh, with Cole Sillinger in the offensive zone. Like he's pretty much doing it, everything on his own. He's, he is generating like dangerous chances and stuff, but he's not utilizing his teammates as well as he could. It was phenomenal. Just the, the level of, analysis and, and insight in a player I hadn't really watched because when you watch these highlight reels of all these kids who are eligible for the draft, like you're usually just getting like the best of the best highlights, right? You're not getting a full snapshot of what the player brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the minutia of the game. I, I think that that's what sets good players apart from not so good. I, you know, yeah, it's great to have skill and flash and all the stuff that you see in highlight reels, but I think there's so much more to the game than that. And Cole Sillinger was a fascinating one. I, I loved watching him because he was so fascinating. Like, I think he's a really good player. You know, that that specific guy, I think if he had played a full season in the WHL, he might be higher on my board than he is. I, I saw him last year with Medicine Hat. He looked like a very different player there than he did this year. And I think, you know, like after I made that video, like I think I raised every, I stand by everything I said in it 100%, you know, but I think when I reflect on it in, in, the, in the time since, my brain kind of goes to, all right, he has room to grow. And I think also he didn't, he kind of came in 
to a hundred meter race at the 40 meter mark and everyone else was kind of halfway down the track. And he was also better than pretty much every teammate he had there. And maybe it's a negative for him to step into that situation and be like, well, I'm just going to do everything myself then because I'm the only guy capable of scoring. But at the same time, he still scored a ton of points. The things that were fascinating to me were the negatives and, and the things were his pat his shot percentages were terrible. His pass percentages were terrible. His pass volume was bad. You know, he wasn't putting pucks in front of the net very often, but every so often you'd see him try. And every so often you'd see some creativity out of him in terms of being a playmaker. And he does have some things with his shooting and the skill under pressure that I think are very projectable. I think he's one of the best shooters in the draft. So he was an interesting one to put together, but it, when I do my work, it's a lot of it is basically focusing on the stuff that doesn't show up on score sheets because you need to push things in the direction of what puts points on the board. Like absolutely, they, they don't yeah. just pop up out of nowhere. So for me, looking at Cole Sillinger, it was pretty clear that he was a guy who was getting the puck, going into the offensive zone, rarely passing it, and just getting a scoring chance. And he did it, which is fine, but I just don't think that that's super projectable to the NHL. But at the same time, I didn't see that player two years ago. So where is he going to fall, right? And it's right. kind of complicated. It's a science, right? It's an inexact science, I would is say. There, so speaking about these sciences and, and breaking up players and, and their skill sets, is there a player that you've that you weren't necessarily that high on in the last like five years that you've been doing this where you're like in retrospect, you're like, damn, like why, what didn't I see? Or was there something I missed? Yeah. I mean, that always happens in the, in some, the more, the one last year that I think kind of outperformed what I expected of was, was Thomas Bortolo. That was a guy who I saw last year and had questions about his foot speed and the skating and his defensive intensity, but his data that he kept putting up in my, in my data sheet was outstanding in terms of an offensive player. He wasn't perfect and there were some holes in his game, but, and I, I kind of, I still undervalued him. And I think I still kind of stand by where I kind of had him ranked, but when the San Jose Sharks picked him, I was kind of surprised. But when I saw him in Michigan, I saw a lot of him with Michigan this year. I mean, his on his own, just in a year, his skating has improved significantly. So it's kind of a check to say, okay, if you have a player who, say, is lacking in a fundamental, it shouldn't mean that you knock them, but it is something to be aware of that you can say, okay, this is where we're going to target your development a little bit, right? Like if you have guys getting into scoring opportunities and they right. just don't have a great quality shot, that doesn't mean they're never going to score goals, right? Like it just means that maybe you need them getting some drills going that can build on those skills. And that's where your development staff comes in. And that's, I mean, to me, development is arguably more important than just picking the right players at draft time. There's so much more that goes in between draft time and the NHL. So he's definitely one of them, but it also it's actually kind of more common for me to have a gut feeling about a guy, whether it's that I should have them lower or not. And I end up, my gut is vindicated. Like I, I saw Dylan cousins playing with the Buffalo Sabres this year. And I remember when he was draft eligible thinking, I see why he's a top prospect, but I question just how much of an offensive guy he's going to be in the NHL without real improvement in a lot of areas. Like he, everyone was telling me how fast he was, but it's like, well, okay. But one, I don't see him as that fast. He moves his feet a lot, but I don't see him as that quick. And a, someone like a Kirby doc, 
always felt like someone who made the game a lot easier. You know, he just makes things look so easy and simple, but what he does is so high end. And I think that's, that's valuable. Uh, and then cousins went after doc and well after, but I had like cousins ranked in front of a guy like, uh, like Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zigris and these guys that I was legitimately excited about. And I like Dylan cousins just fine, but he's an example of a guy where I had a gut feeling Vasily pod Colson is another one mm-hmm. where I just had these gut feelings about, question marks and you kind of back off a little bit because it's a little bit sketchy to people for you to step out and be like, well, I'm not a huge fan of this guy. Everybody likes, but over time you kind of get over that. Like I've got Owen power at seven on my list and he's not, he's not moving anywhere. So over time you kind of set that aside and you just, I guess you just have to be willing to, to learn from your mistakes if you do make them. Will, this was excellent, man. You can find Will's work at sketching.ca. I can't wait uh, to talk to you again. If you're available after the draft, I'd like to get your uh, assessment of what Ottawa did. They've always been kind of like a weird team to me because they don't draft guys at Russia. They they don't tend to stray very far from North America. They like prospects, mm-hmm. whether they're European or not, guys who are playing already in North America. And it feels like very conservative. They like like safe floor guys a lot of the time, yeah. especially in the mid-rounds. Obviously, they drafted Tim Stutzel, early high-skill player, but they haven't really gone for those high skill players mm-hmm. without the safe floors. And yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to see what they do at 10 because, you know, well, they have, a, they have a lot of depth in the system and this could be one of the years where they try and swing for the fences and hit a home run. So it'll be really interesting, but will, do you have anything to plug before I let you go? Sure. Yeah. So you can, uh, like Graham said, go to scouting.ca. Everything's everything is there. You can also, uh, financially support the project at patreon.com slash scouting. Uh, you can follow my work at twitter.com uh, slash scouching or subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash scouching. I also, uh, all my scouching reports are in written form uh, for patrons of any tier, but also they're on mckeenshockey.com. So if you're a subscriber over there, uh, you can read a lot of work there. There should be more stuff coming from me and some other people on that team uh, for next season. We're kind of expanding my role uh, over there. So that's going to be very exciting. And uh, that pretty much runs the whole gamut. Just we do live streams every Wednesday night where you can ask questions uh, on YouTube. Uh, and next week for draft week, we've got a few different live streams going on. Um, definitely also live streaming throughout the entire draft, which is going to be a marathon uh, for myself. But we'll make it. We'll get there. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate <laughs> Anytime. it. Thank you very much.